Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I'm not sure this is true of everyone, but the older I get, the more uh, death troubles me. I think when I was a child, I was not at all troubled by death. (laughs) The older I get, the more I think, well, what if, you know, there's some weird illness going on that I don't know about? It just seems closer, I guess, and it gets more troubling. Of course, as a Christian, I also can say, yeah, but I'm ready to, you know, it's... Yeah, but it still troubles me. And uh, maybe that's true for you, or maybe that's not. Maybe you're not old enough. (laughs) Uh, I just turned 60, and for some reason, turning 60 bothered me more than turning 40 or 50 did. I don't know why, but uh, some people get troubled when they turn 30, I've heard. It didn't bother me at all. There's no accounting for this stuff, but uh, yeah, the older I get, the more, I guess the more it's on my mind. And I think about things like, uh, well, how many years do I have left? Yeah, stuff like that. I hope this isn't too depressing. But uh, the reason I brought this up is because, uh, I mean, sometimes we think, well, a Christian shouldn't be troubled by death. And there's a certain sense in which, yeah, a Christian shouldn't be troubled by death. Because as we know from right here in the book of John, Jesus says, even if you die, you don't die. And yet, here's something, right in the text of John chapter 12, Let me just read this. I'm going to start kind of at the end of where we left off last time. Jesus said, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life, by the way, this is John chapter 12, verse 25, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? I meant to stop already, but there you go. This is one of the problems in this text, is figuring out where to stop, where the, where the divisions are. You know, like, i got to figure out how many verses to preach. So what I've noticed in this text is I've got to have overlap. I don't know why I'm telling you that, because you don't really need to know. But uh, that's why I started where we, before we left off last time. But anyway, the thing I want to notice here is Jesus was troubled by death. So I just want you to know, if you're troubled by death, even though you don't need to be, it's okay. Now, we already knew this, because in chapter 11... Jesus was troubled by death then too. Same exact word, and this word is not like a mild anxiety. This is not some vague worry. This is trouble, trouble. It means to literally be stirred up. And in uh, chapter 11, the death we were talking about was the death of Lazarus. And here was Jesus. He'd already announced what he was going to do. And then the text says, he was greatly troubled. Groaning, the other words, two words used there. And here he says, I'm troubled. My soul is troubled. Death is the enemy. It's the thing Jesus came to defeat by participating. So many ironies in the book of John. I think it's one of the reasons I love it. But I needed to go back and start in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What Jesus is going to do in these few verses in this text, there is such deep Christological theology in this text. What he's going to do is demonstrate this in the life of an actual human being in what he says and what happens in the next few verses. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever lets go of his life gets eternal life. And that is exactly what Jesus is about to do. But he's troubled. Here's the thing, and 
Some people seem to think that Jesus dying on the cross was no big deal to Jesus. Well, they should read this text. They should read the text of the prayer in the garden because what's going on in this text in the book of John is exactly what was going on in the garden. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. Now, in the English translations of this, bi- of this text in the Bible, almost all of them, this is phrased like a question. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? I don't think that's correct. By the way, there's no punctuation in the Greek. There's no question mark in the original. What's going on here is the prayer. Father, save me from this hour. It's interesting, in the old Dutch translation of the Bible, that's how they say it. In the new one, it's a question. Interesting, isn't it? Now, congratulations to the translators of the Papimento Bible because they say there's an exclamation point, not a question mark. Now, this is an interpretive question, obviously. But I think the best way to make sense of what he says after this is for this to be a request, not a question. He's not saying, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? Oh, I don't think so. His soul is troubled. Troubled, troubled. Stirred up. He has come to this realization that the time is now. These Greeks come, you know, we talked about this. They come and they say, hey, we'd like to see Jesus. And Jesus oh, Greeks, oh. Now, it's here. It's here. It shakes him. That's another way you could translate this word, troubled, shaken. So, he says, Father, save me from this hour. And immediately, though, (laughs) he's in conflict, isn't he? Immediately, he says, but no. But no. This hour is why I'm at this hour. (laughs) That's what he says. For the purpose of this hour, I have come to this hour. I just want to tell you, if your soul is troubled by death, Jesus' soul is more troubled than yours. Death is a bigger problem to him than it is to you. He's the eternal God. We're sort of used to death. People die all the time. Dying is a bigger deal if Jesus does it than if you do it. But in any case, here we have the Son of God who is going to willingly subject himself to the judgment of God for the sinfulness of humanity. He's not a sinner. 
He's suffering our death. He says, save me from this hour. And then he says, wait, but no. For this hour I have come to this hour. So, so, what does he say instead? He sa- First he says this, and then he says, no, wait, this. Father, glorify your name. (laughs) Now we know the hour we're talking about. Now he already said the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And now he says, Father, glorify your name. Oh my goodness, the glory of God is at stake. The glory of God is the important thing to Jesus. He is troubled by the loss of his life. He is more troubled by the possibility of the diminishing of God's glory. It is more important than his own life that the name of the Father be glorified. Now, I would suggest to you that the glory of God in the mind of Christ is not some weird, esoteric, abstract concept like we have it. It's the thing in his mind. How curious it is that he doesn't say, Father, instead of saving me from this hour, use me to save these people. Not what he said. That's what we think it's all about. It's about our salvation this hour. And it certainly is about that. But the big thing for Jesus is the glory of God. Now remember, also he said, the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Save me from this hour would be saving him from being glorified. You can't have both. The glory of Christ in the book of John is entirely wrapped up in the cross. As soon as Jesus is talking about the hour of his glory, he's talking about the hour of his death. That's what we looked at last time. Now, (laughs) Jesus says, Oh, what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. Father, glorify your name. Now we know this is a very big deal because it is very, very, very rare what happens next. What happens next almost never happens. God himself, the Father God, speaks 
out loud to the Son of God, the man Jesus. There's only two other occasions recorded in the gospel where he spoke out loud to Jesus. And honestly, it's very hard to find any occasions of this anywhere coming directly from the Father. He speaks, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. You see, the concern is not just the concern of Jesus, the Son of God, it's also the concern of the Father. What's odd, it's so odd here. The crowd is standing around. They heard it, but they didn't understand it. Jesus understood it. We don't know exactly how John came to know what it was. Maybe he understood it, or maybe Jesus explained it to him, or maybe the Spirit of God inspiring the writing of Scripture revealed it. The content, the content is, I have glorified it, I will glorify it. You know, all this talk of glory makes me think, we need to try to understand what on earth is glory. We all might say, I guess, that the primary thing in all of creation is the glory of God. We probably agree with that. Well, do we know what we're saying when we talk about glory? I think sometimes we think what we are talking about is God's greatness. But glory is not just greatness. A person could be great and not glorious. A person could be great and good and not glorious. How would that happen? Well, let me give you a way of thinking about this. Glory is greatness demonstrated now. That's still not quite enough. Demonstrated, although it is starting to get there because if I'm going to, if greatness is going to be demonstrated, there must be an audience. Greatness contained is not glorious. Greatness demonstrated is glorious. Then greatness must be appreciated. This is what we mean when we sing glorify. Let us glorify God. We glorify God. And yet God's glory is eternal and not really dependent upon us. But how can it be eternal? Because it involves demonstration and it involves appreciation from the people or persons who experience the demonstration. And it is reflected. 
Glory is greatness demonstrated, appreciated, and reflected. Now we could say, well, how is God's glory eternal? God is not glorious if God is not a trinity. God is not in himself glorious if God is not more than one person. And the doctrine of the Trinity is God, one, one God. There's only one God, one being, eternally exists in three persons. And so the greatness of the Father can be observed, appreciated, and reflected in the life of the Son. And this is an eternal relation. And what we find out is God in his very nature is a relating being. And so he creates to extend his glory. And that means a demonstration of his greatness, an observation of his greatness, an appreciation of his greatness, and a reflection of his greatness in the creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's why there are heavens. <laughs> so, Declare it to who? Well, you and me. And we are supposed to gaze at the stars and appreciate the greatness of God and then appreciating it, reflect it in our relationship with the rest of creation, especially one another. And Jesus prays regarding this hour, the hour of his death, resurrection, ascension, uh, his enthronement, his anticipated return. Father, glorify your name. And the Father responds, I have and I will. And this reminds me of chapter 1 and verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The word of God, the expression of his greatness. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. How do you know God is gracious? There's only one way. It's demonstrated in the very existence of of Jesus, the incarnate, eternal Son of God. This might seem like deep or complicated theology, but I'm telling you, it is at the heart of everything. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace. And truth, a few verses later in chapter 1, we read, No one has ever seen God, referring to the Father, the only begotten God, 
who's at the Father's side, one God, two persons mentioned here. Of course, we know there's a third. The only begotten God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Later on in the chapter 13 of the book of John, Philip will say, show us the Father. And Jesus will say, You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Jesus is, according to the scripture, the image of the invisible God. The man Jesus is the way God glorifies his name. In the very incarnation of Christ, in the earthly life of Christ, God became visible to us. So we can see his glory. What God is, what is happening in the life of Jesus is the glory of God is reaching down and gathering us into its own glory. In chapter 17, Jesus will pray, Give them the same glory we have. All of this, of course, only transpires through the death, resurrection, ascension, in, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intercession, return, reign of Christ. So when God says, the Father says, I will glorify it again, he's talking about that. Glory, God, glorious greatness demonstrated, appreciated, reflected in the death, resurrection, ascension, return, reign of Jesus, the man, Christ. The glory of the Father is in the glory of the Son. So when Jesus says the glory, <laughs> the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, it's absolutely consistent with that to say, glorify your name, Father. You can't have one without the other. This is kind of the nature of glory. When I worship God, I glory. To glorify God is to be glorified in Christ. Now Jesus, that God's announcement is, I have, I will. crowd standing around and saying, well, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus says, look, the voice is for you, not me. <laughs> and is so often the case in the book of John, then it's like he's going this way, and it's like, what? What? Uh, huh? Now is the judgment of this world. 
The hour has come, the hour has come, the hour has come. Now, what should I say? Father, save me. No, no, glorify your name. I will glorify it. I have glorified it. I will glorify it. What? 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 (laughs) Now's the judgment of the world. Now is the hour. What is this hour? The hour of the death, resurrection, ascension. The, the, The hour has come. The path of Jesus to go back to the Father through the cross and through the resurrection. That time has arrived. And what does Jesus call it? The time of the judgment of this world. Why didn't he say, now is the time to save people? It's like he's not even thinking of that. It hasn't come up yet. Now's the time for the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. I can imagine a bunch of, bunch of the listeners of Jesus, these Jewish folks are going, oh great, so Rome is out. But that's not who Jesus is talking about, is it? He's not talking about Caesar. He's talking about the one Caesar works for. But anyway, what does he mean, the judgment of this? Why isn't he talking about salvation? Well, let me tell you this. No judgment, no salvation. He is talking about salvation. The judgment of this world happens in two, down two paths. The people of this world are judged one of two ways. They're judged in the dominion of Satan to eternal suffering. That's the way we normally think. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he's saying the ruler of this world is cast out. He's talking about Satan. Or they are judged in union with Christ in his death. You do not escape the judgment of God. Your sin does not escape the judgment of God. You escape the punishment, but not the judgment. The Bible says we are united with Christ in his death. It says, Paul says in Galatians chapter (laughs) 2, wow, I should be able to quote this, sorry. Got to look it up now. Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6, we've been united with him in his death, we'll be united with him in his resurrection. Our union with Christ, in our union with Christ, we are on the cross. This is the judgment of the world. The cross is the judgment absorbed by our Savior. Oh my goodness, the glory. This is the path of judgment for those who trust in it that also leads to resurrection. For those who reject that, 
who don't do what Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am there my servant will be also, do not experience the resurrection into life. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So the world is judged. People are, sort themselves into two categories. Those united with Christ and those in the dominion of Satan. And judgment either is through the cross to salvation or just judgment condemnation. And then Jesus says this, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Apparently it was already clear he was announcing he was going to die. This is going to confuse, and we'll save this for next time, the confusion that comes from this, they're going, well, the Messiah is not supposed to die. They say they read that in the law. I've been trying to find it in the law, and I can't so far. But in any case, they're confused by this statement when I'm lifted up from the earth. And here again, we have, as we have before in the book of John, the expression lifted up, which is an expression for being exalted, being put up as a model for emulation, as a... Uh, Greatness to be admired, lifted up. But Jesus is saying this to indicate how he's going to die, lifted up on a cross. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus lifted up from the earth is the glorious display of God's humility. It's odd for us to think that God is a humble being. And yet, that is exactly what you see on the cross. It's a glorious display. It's a thing to be admired, a high and lofty, exalted thing. And it is humility. It is Jesus putting himself beneath everything. He is simultaneously exalted and humbled. He is exalted by humility. It's the glorious display of God's heroic humility, of his sovereign grace. None of us would have thought of this plan. Of his great covenantal love. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us. And while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is a demonstrated love. And this, I think, is when he's talking about salvation, when he says, when I'm lifted up, when this, when this glorious display of God's heroic humility, of his sovereign grace, of his great covenantal love is, is put up, I'll draw all people to myself. Now he's talking about salvation. Now he's talking about whoever serves me. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and he'll be where I am. 
we will gather at the cross. We follow and serve, and so we are with him. We witness his greatness. We praise his greatness. We reflect his glory, his humility, his grace, his love. We show because we've seen it. It is transforming. And so we are restored to God's very purpose in creating us in the first place. Let us make man in our image. How do we broken, distorted, covered, hidden, making God invisible sinners, how do we glorify God by coming to see Him in Christ, know His love in Christ, see and experience His grace in Christ, His greatness put on display, and trusting and resting in Christ, we become His image bearers restored. We become humble. We become the sort of people that say, I don't care where God sends me, what he asks me to do, or how painful it might appear to me in the first place, I become the sort of person that says, if that's where I can shine his character, that is where I will go. That is what I will do. The prize is the great glory of God exhibited in the person of Christ, and I get lifted into it and I experience the upward spiral of the love of Christ, and I become the sort of person he is. I see him, I become like him, because I see him. God is in the cross of Christ opening us again. When Adam and Eve failed in the garden, you can see it immediately. They're like, oh, I got to get some clothes on. I got to start hiding. I cannot be open and honest with my wife anymore. She's not, she's not to be trusted. Intimacy is shut down. And we become what Luther called, we, we gain what Luther called incurved souls revolving around ourselves. And we even put some religion on that from time to time. And the cross of Christ, in the cross of Christ, in Jesus' prayer, glorify your name, Father. In his save me, no, glorify your name prayer, we see it live and in person. And this is intended to cause us to say, oh, him, I trust him. He is the ex exhibition of the glory of God. I see it in him. 
I rest my soul in him and I experience union with him and I experience the transformation of my life so that I become the sort of person he is and I'm with him. And if he's going to, I don't know, name your impossible country, North Korea, I go because that's where he is. If he's speaking to the bum on the street, I'm speaking to the bum on the street. I'm not looking at anyone and saying he's beyond the reach of the vision of God's glory in Christ. Jesus put himself at the bottom. Well, that troubles my soul. And I think, I don't want to go to the bottom. I don't want to humble myself. I'm important to myself. <coughs> my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this humble humiliation, this hum humility. No, no, no. Glorify your name. This is upside down thinking from the world. Christ is exalted by lowering. He's lifted up in his humility. And he says to us, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And when we see the glory of God in the face of Christ, what else can you do? You can't do anything else. You trust him. It's pretty simple, really. If you don't see it, you won't. If you do see it, you can't help yourself. And for us in the body of Christ, the church of God, what, what we do here every Sunday is come and see it again. It's very easy for us to get distracted in this life. So we come and we remember and we see it again. Is your soul troubled by what God might call you to do for the sake of his glory? How would you resolve that problem? Oh my goodness, get an eyeful of the cross. That's how. Father, we give you thanks for this great and glorious grace. Father, I... <laughs> We're so blind sometimes. Lord, help us. Help us to see, to walk by faith, to know the glory of God in Christ. Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.